Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rachel Connolly from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I am your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rachel Connolly from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I am your host. Today, we are going to be discussing the topic on the sustainability element of blockchain and Web3. I'm joined by Nick from Kurest, Jamon from Empower, Bree from Climate Starter, and Alex from Klimadao. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Nick, do you want to keep, kick us off with a brief introduction? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is uh, Nick Sanefeld. Um I'm from Holland. Um, <clears throat> I lived in the city of Rotterdam. Um, before I started Horst, I used to be in the army and actually for 17 years. Um, I exited as an army captain before I dove into the uh, tech industry. And um, in 2021, um, I founded a course um, that focuses on uh, carbon compensation. And yeah, I'm actually now the, uh, uh, the CEO. Um, and together with a, a team of 13, we are uh, building a, a blockchain application that focuses on carbon compensation. Thanks, Nick. Jamon, can we come to you next, please? Yes, absolutely. Um... So my name is Jermon um, Garokran from uh, from Norway. Um, yeah, we. So I'm the, I'm the CTO and uh, one of the co-founders at Empower. Um, we started in 2018, five years ago now, uh, with like the idea of how we could um, incentivize um, people so that we could uh, do something about the plastic waste problem. So that's that's what we've been working on. Um, we built, uh, we have a platform that deals with traceability around plastic. So we're currently building out, um, a blockchain, uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem called OpenPowerChain that's re- revolves around, uh, incentivization, um, for circular economy, so circular economy, uh, waste cleanup and incentivizations towards those goals that, uh, we're working on. Thanks, Shimon. Bree, can we come to you next, please? Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Brianne. So I'm originally from Singapore, but I now reside between Portugal and the United States. Um, I actually come from a non-technical background, so this is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, most of my, I think, experience and passion comes from working in the environmental space since 2010. So I was volunteering with whatever you name it, beach cleanups, you know, like waste collection and recycling, so on and so forth. I was involved. And I think sometime in 2018 is when like, I started looking at how do I solve problems within the sustainability space. And I think it's interesting that your mom mentioned plastic recycling because that was my previous startup um, that actually gave rise to the inspiration for incentives as well. So uh, we realized that there was a lack of incentives when we started fundraising for the plastic waste startup and realized that people need to be incentivized in order to actually lend capital into the space. And in this particular like way of lending a lot of like small projects that are still good for the environment they fall through the gaps so we essentially are focusing on closing that gap that capital lending gap for 
what we ignored or underbanked projects, as we would say, um, through crypto. Um, and we actually are looking to launch sometime around probably June, if everything goes well. Um, and I am only one of two co-founders in this case. Uh, we have also more people joining us, hopefully, in the next few months. So we're pretty excited. Yeah. Thanks, Brain. Alex, last but not least, can we come to you, please? Alex Taylor. Um, my background is more in um, energy system space. So did some time doing academics and policy work before moving into the, the carbon space probably four or five years ago. Um, so I had a, a startup that was involved in the carbon markets. Um, and then in 2020, 2020 or 2021, um, came together with some other um, organizations to, to work on ClimaDAO. Um, so ClimaDAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. It's a bit, a bit out there. But um, it's essentially trying to build technology that can, can help try and fix the carbon markets. So it uses Web3 technology specifically to fix some of the, the demand side failures within the carbon markets. So yeah, the, the project's been around for about 18 months or so now. It's on the, the Polygon blockchain. Yeah, check us out. So now we're all introduced, let's move on to the topic in focus. Um, you all have a question or statement on the sustainability elements of blockchain and Web3. Um, as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Bree. Bree, if you'd like to pose your question to the panel, please. So I think what would be interesting is getting everyone's perspectives, seeing that a lot of you have been in the space for a while. Um, what are some of the friction points, I guess, holding mass adoption back from, you know, blockchain, from crypto, from sustainability? It would be good to hear especially from maybe like regional perspectives as well, if you guys would. Yeah, Nick, can we start with you on that one? Yeah, so, so regional perspectives on, for sustainability on the blockchain, is that correct? Um, yeah, so yeah, that brings me basically uh, back to my own project is, um, I think, developing countries uh, can massively benefit from blockchain technology. Because if I look, for example, what we are trying to do is we are onboarding farmers and green projects from, from uh, all over the world, but mainly from developing countries in order to let them generate CO2 tokens, which they then can sell to uh, companies, mainly in the West, to compensate CO2. Uh, then you can see that those uh, engines um, are, are uh, mainly the generators of uh, CO2 offsets or compensation that can be used by companies in the West. Um, and so the regions that generate those carbon compensation for the West can then benefit by getting access to a financial system or network, uh, which helps them to generate an extra revenue stream. Um, and the companies in the West are basically the consumers of those uh, CO2 offsets. Um, and then uh, the blockchain basically connects that. So basically, we call that uh, the mycelium of, of sustainability. Um, and uh, yeah, in this case, the, the, the everybody benefits as a whole, but certain regions benefit more as a supplier for, uh, and others benefit more as a consumer of CO of carbon offsets. 
that that would be my answer to that question. Thanks, Nick. Jamon, would you agree with that? Anything to add? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a huge potential um, for this kind of technology to benefit, especially um, those that are in the, for lack of a better word, developing countries. Um, I think it's also like one of the things that are holding that back from really happening is is a there's a of course an edu- educational component to it um but we when we started with like the first year we did i think uh pilots in 16 countries spreads all over the globe and it's and since then also what we've done it's and and, and <laughs> basically people don't get it um without a lot of explanation uh, it's it's not something that just comes naturally without having to explain a bit more deeply. And of course, when you do that, they do get it. Um, but I think I think it's it's quite similar to to the, to to the internet in a lot of ways. It's it's maybe a bit of a cliche to use that as a as a to 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 talk about this, but it's people don't really care how the internet works, what protocols are underneath it, what's how everything is magically connected. Uh, they just don't. They just know that they can connect to whatever they need across the internet, and it's it works, and and, and that's great. I think it needs to be the same with blockchain eventually. People need to understand that it's safer, that it's has um, capabilities for transparency that um, that that are not possible without it, and all these possibilities and that we can decrease costs and all these things it's i think that's where where mass adoption is going to come from it's not going to come from us telling people how to stake tokens and like oh you need to understand all these different protocols and understand how it all connects together or you need to connect you have a wallet on this blockchain or on this blockchain it's just it's i don't think it's gonna it's not gonna look like that just like you do, it's not gonna look like on the internet, people are not gonna care about TCIP or or any of the other protocols are that we're using on a daily basis. So it's basically a, like a UX problem uh, first and foremost, I think, and then secondly, uh, there's some educational components to to it as well. Yeah, so I I, f- I love that analogy because that's what I use, right? Again, because I'm from a non-technical background, I'm like, when I use the internet, do I want to know? what SMTP is. Do I want to know how that data is flying from my own computer to another? I don't. I just want to get in there. I want to open my email. I want to click on inbox, start a new email, send it out, have it received. That's it. So I, I also think that I think because of the UX issue, um, these developing countries, like what Nick mentioned, struggle with it as well, because there is not a common language translating blockchain and its concepts and its benefits into non-English languages is one difficulty and then outreach education and then of course um, sometimes just the sheer lack of infrastructure um, is an issue. I mean having it I think on desktop a lot and that was my first experience with blockchain and crypto is everything is on desktop. There's no familiar things like a mobile app where you can do actions that you're already familiar with and your brain has been trained to do. And for a lot of these um, underdeveloped or developing nations, which is what our protocol tends to work with out of Southeast Asia, they have a mobile first approach. They might not even have like an ETM somewhere, 
they would have a mobile phone. So that's something that I think is uh, not being looked at enough is when you're bringing it to the masses, where is the first point of contact? So yeah, that's basically one of the things that I think we've seen as well when, you know, with other people trying to adopt blockchain across any technology, I mean, sorry, not across any technology, but across any project, across any um, app or so on, or any kind of like solution, that is a major issue, the UX. Thanks, Bray. Alex, is there anything you wanted to add on that? Yeah, I would agree with the the education piece and the understanding piece. And I guess related to that, there's also a perception piece. I think crypto and blockchain can have um, negative connotations around speculation and, and these kind of activities. Um, so maybe the perception piece can be solved through the education piece as people start to understand the more utilitarian projects. They can kind of move away from these ideas and all these negative perceptions. There's something that we're seeing at, at Glimadal, um, which is also a barrier, and that's just the actual kind of accessibility to the market. There's barriers to entry to your crypto markets. Um, I think for people who are involved in the space um, personally, there's this notion of um, being bankless. You you manage all of your own funds and, and you participate within the ecosystem as you wish, which is all well and great. But if we really want to see institutions or organizations interacting with the products and services that are being built are they really going to be bankless probably not they're going to need custody providers and they're going to need risk management processes and you know they're going to have to have all this kind of um, institutional infrastructure in place for them to actually be able to access what's being built so we're starting to see solutions here um there's there's various custody providers and such Dao is going to be partnering with an organization called Circle, who are um, by a well-known organization who um, are responsible for the USTC coin, um, which is a, a stable coin, and, and they'll be a custody provider for us. And so we hope by working with those guys, we can actually increase the accessibility of our own platform. Because at the moment, you know, it takes takes quite a an experimental organization, which is typically a smaller organization, to really come and, and use what it is that we've built. So yeah, I think I think these two kind of pieces of work have to go in parallel. This understanding and education piece, um, as well as the the actual kind of technology that's required um, to to reduce the barriers in terms of access to the market. Thanks, Alex. Jamon, welcome to you next. If you'd like to pose your question to the panel. Yes. Um, so my question was, um, in basically, it's in what way do you think blockchain or crypto? Um, have the potential to solve sustainability problems or issues that traditional solutions cannot. So it's sort of like a Web3 versus Web2 kind of thing, but it's what's, what are, in your view, the, the thing that makes this type of technology particularly important to solve sustainability issues? I have some thoughts on it, obviously myself, um, but I would like to hear everyone else thoughts first. Well, uh, let me start. Um, so first of all, the blockchain technology, uh, it will remove the barrier to entry. Um, and it um, allows people that did not have access, uh, especially to carbon markets, for example, to, to enter the market and sell their carbon, um, 
if you compare that to the web 2.0 uh, way of doing business, uh, that market is kind of fenced off, especially to smaller uh, carbon projects that don't have the means to enter the market. And uh, yeah, blockchain technology <clears throat> um, basically removes that barrier. Um, I think it also will make it more uh, liquid in the end. Maybe not now at this moment, but uh, the, um, the the tokenization of carbon credits is basically uh, a use case that shows, okay, uh, liquidity is coming onto the blockchain um, and that liquidity is needed in order to um, make this carbon market or sustainability market uh, function. And in, once that liquidity is on the blockchain, it doesn't go back, in my opinion. It will stay there. Uh, and now it's a matter of bringing as much Web 2.0 liquidity on the on chain and, and keep it there. And also, uh, new use cases will be uh, found for um, that, that are not possible in Web 2.0. What do I mean by that? Maybe I can give an example. If I reflect on our own project, um, yeah, we, of uh, course, as a company, issues NFTs. So there are NFTs backed by trees. Um, and those have uh, use cases in, in metaverses, for example, or in in, uh, in gaming projects. Um, so it's not only uh, a useful uh, NFT because it generates CO2 tokens. It's also uh, fun to use in a metaverse. Um, and it, it allows um, uh, people to have digital ownership over an otherwise static assets in the real world. Um, and I think that it's, uh, not only it's exciting, but it's also fun to, uh, to be in this space that, uh, not only helps projects to sell their value, but also, uh, allow other people to build their ecosystem on top of, or a game on top of that. So those, um, those benefits I see for blockchain technology. I'm happy to go next. Um, so I think on top of that, um, on the same, I guess, like context or framework of like having things being seamless. Um, we already know what blockchain can do, but I think what blockchain also enables is new ways in which you can embed sustainability in technology. So um, it's sort of like, if I have to think about it to make it work, then you need to make it disappear. Like I think this whole adopting sustainability thing, which is again, back to also a friction point, is that if you have to make people put on cognitive load to solve for it, it becomes more difficult because it's a barrier in your way. Um, I think one of the projects that I really love in this space to give a really good example of how the technology actually creates a, a new way for sustainability to be embedded is what Spirals is doing with their projects, right? Like when you actually transact from the blockchain, the way that the um, carbon footprint and also like the offsetting is done is programmatic. It's done on chain itself. It's invisible. And I think that's the approach forward is to embed it into the blueprint of everything that you do, be it like your business process, you know, like what B Corps do, um, or to embed it within your technology itself, whether is it through maybe innovation on a new layer so that there's less emissions, um, uses less energy. It could be transacting like what Spirals does. I think that's great. Um, and also, I think because of what we're doing with our platform is to allow people to have full transparency and I wouldn't say control because that's built into the smart contracts and at the end of the day that's designed by people but it allows for people to have a sense of governance 
And the way that governance can take place on the blockchain is much more transparent. And more importantly, the people coming into this space with the Web3 mindset, as I like to call it, because I'm very Web1, Web2 coming from like law and like commodities, um, is that the people here want to do better. And I think that's one of the most important changes in sustainability and blockchain is that the people coming to the space want to do better than their predecessors did. They're coming in with more of like a network state of mind rather than a centralized state of mind. And I think that's one of the big changes within the space that has more impact than the technology itself. Thanks, Bray. Alex, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I, well, I guess maybe one thought is um, making a distinction between what we're talking about here, which is public blockchains and the benefits that they can bring, and then private blockchains, which is maybe a slightly different conversation. Um, public With public blockchains, everything is readable, writable, auditable. You can plug into things. You can build on top of things. Um, so I, I think that's probably useful context for people. And so, so the, the popular or the famous public blockchains are like the Ethereum network, Bitcoin, Polygon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like public blockchains themselves have some like innate properties that aren't really replicable um, in the real world. So that's ideas around like trustlessness. You can you can like verify everything um, and transparency. So you can really see what's happening within a market, what are the flows, why are the flows happening, et cetera, et cetera. And then of course, security is another really big benefit of, of public blockchains. You know, you're not relying on kind of a centralized server or something. You're more relying on distributed nodes or miners or validators. Um, but then within the context of, of Web3, I think, yeah, there are there are other kind of things that are hard to replicate or benefits that, that, it, that it brings. That's ideas of like decentralization um, is a particularly interesting concept. So we're seeing organizations pop up that are full of lots of different ideas um, lots of different approaches and they kind of meld together. You know, these are, these are remote organizations, people live the world and, and they kind of, um, come together to, to create change and, and create new types of projects. That's, that's pretty unique to, to web three. Um, obviously if you're, you're working in traditional centralized organization, there's a CEO, there's a decision maker, um, capital kind of calls in, in certain areas and decentralization flips the scripts a little bit on that. And related to, to decentralization, um, is also kind of related to what's what's being built within the space. Um, if you're familiar with the idea of decentralized finance or, or DeFi, it's something that's kind of sprung out of the the Web three space. Um, and this is all about you know people building or experimenting with new projects on the blockchain. So um, new technology is being developed by developers and, and coders. And then this technology can essentially be taken and, and reused and, and interesting things can be, be done with it. Um, so for example, at Klimadao, we, we've used a piece of technology called an automated market maker, which is like an old piece of decentralized finance technology. We're like applying that to the, the carbon markets because we think liquidity pools or automated market makers are really interesting. They remove the need for a centralized counterparty to, to do financial transactions and put it all into um, yeah, this this automated market maker technology. So it's just a super interesting experimental space um, enabled by public blockchains that's that's leading to a lot of kind of outside of the box thinking. Um, and yeah, I think it can be applied to various 
um, sustainability activities to, to try and improve the conditions. So within our context, it's it's the carbon markets, um, similar to, to what Nick was talking about. We're, we're applying this decentralized technology to the carbon markets, which has got a load, a load of kind of well-known market failures around transparency, inefficiency, and fragmented liquidity, et cetera. Yeah, just just um, a really innovative space, experimental place. Yeah, totally. I, I think you probably, all of you in total, touched on all the points I had thought about on, on this topic for Andy. Um The only thing that maybe I would personally expand upon, which I think is really, really important, is is this idea of it? Well, it goes into decentralization essentially, but it's it's like this the the fact that you can have core infrastructure for basically whatever you are building for, and you can you can distribute the ownership of that to to those that are actually impacted by it. So, for instance, or in our case, the all all the actors in in the supply chain. That's that's from all the way from 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 waste pickers through uh, collection organizations to recycling and that they all can have not just are not just users of some system that they don't need to care about but that they can actually have a say that they can actually be owners of the core infrastructure that they use to get their job done, to to do what they need to do, I think that's. I think there's a lot of unexplored space there still, mostly because we this is very very new, but also because we're just I think starting to figure out how to actually distribute for decentralization. It's very very difficult, and it's very often leads to uh, to problems where where it's not really decentralized, where it's actually heavily centralized in, in just a few actors, uh, which is actually the case in, in, in large number of blockchain projects today. But if we manage to do that properly and actually manage to dis- to distribute and decentralize centralized to the stakeholders that are impacted by technology, I think it can be really, really, it can have a lot of impact and also make, of course, people be more uh, more inclined to touch the be used it. Thanks, Shimon, and thanks everyone for your points there. And um, Alex, if we come to you next, my my question, yeah, zooming out a little bit around the sustainability conversation in crypto. A few years ago, crypto had a, or blockchains in general had a bad name when it came to environmentalism. Um, you know, there's there a lot of conversation in the press, particularly around um, carbon footprint of proof of work blockchains. And and now we're having this conversation today around, you know, trying to drive real world impact through blockchains. So yeah, my question is kind of what's happened and, and what's changed and what's brought us to where we are today. Brie, welcome to you first. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually a feel that for sure. I think especially in Asia where we first started, um, it's it's the mindsets are very much follower rather than leader. Um, so generally, we tend to watch what the Western world does and then maybe try it out. You know, we never the first mover. So having that conversation was very difficult. I remember back in twenty twenty one around June, so just before Klima launched and just before the first iteration of our solution launched in August, 
um, we have to talk to stakeholders in our supply chain and our ecosystem, um, which we wanted to be part of like the governance, um, because these are people that we trusted with their expertise to be able to weigh in on what we're doing. So these were like scientists, um, ESG consultants, you know, so environmental, social and governance consultants. And everyone was all in an uproar, like blockchain uses up so much energy. How can you even think of using this technology? And in the next two years, everyone like this now. Um, I think what's changed essentially is you have a lot of people who are now more aware of sustainability who come from a technical background. Um, this is what I've seen at least. And they understand that there are innovations in this space that is solving for that energy usage issues. There are um, innovations looking at how do we improve um, how transactions are done, transaction speeds, uh, how do we then maybe change process flow. Um, there was like a... a a ESG consultant who actually came from a computer science background. And so we had a really long chat um, about how, for example, decentralized storage works. So if information for sustainability products can actually save on network carbon footprint by using decentralized storage. So I think the influx of new brains into the space is what changes, um, I think, a lot of outlook on it. Um, but also there has been a lot more people who are adopting this within our ecosystem. And that helps, right? People see that it works. Um, I think more importantly, above anything else, people just want something that works. So as long as the blockchain is there and they're adopting it, I think that creates an invisible like momentum to actually change people's mindsets about it once they actually use the product. Instead of having to, I think this harks back to what we talked about earlier is that they, I don't want to have to learn about how blocks are made in order to use a product. So if when they use a product, they're amazed by it, the UX is amazing, or it solves some of their problems, they're like, cool, let me look at how they make this maybe. And so I think that's what's also changing as well. Um, more easy ways to onboard people, leading to more traction, leading to more awareness, and then changing the attitudes of using blockchain for sustainability. Um, yeah, so uh, let me go next. Um... I think a lot of things happened uh, since, let's say, the, uh, 2020 until now. Um, because in 2020, 2021, we had the massive bull market. Uh, but then we also have a lot of uh, thought uh, regarding crypto not being sustainable. Um, and I think that was mainly related to criticism from the traditional finance world to crypto. Um, because I think. A lot of thought was unjust, unjustified because if uh, a sector is not really sustainable, then it's traditional finance uh, compared to, uh, to compared to crypto. Uh, but then we had had a lot of things happening uh, with Ethereum that moved to proof of stake, so the narrative already changed um, regarding the energy usage. Then you had Polygon, uh, where we are also deployed on Escorus that released green manifesto uh, which focuses heavily on sustainability and then you saw basically this green wave across um and across the crypto ecosystem to counter that narrative because i think um that this was very important that you see that the crypto sector as a whole was being attacked by traditional finance uh, through that sustainability narrative and that triggered the counter response in my opinion um which led to uh, the creation of many, many companies, including myself, and I think Climate Owl as, uh, as well, 
and many, many others. Um, and that's now basically here to stay because, uh, yeah, you could see that the narrative, uh, that's what we experienced died off a little bit when the bear market came, then there was less interest in sustainability projects in the crypto space. Uh, but now that's coming back again. You see that uh, real-world use cases are now there. Uh, we, as a project, we see that um, our, pro uh, our product is also being used by non-crypto companies um, because <clears throat> now we move to this phase that, that you can see that the traditional finance starting to fill, break apart even on that people are waking up like, oh, this crypto is, it isn't going away and it, it is solving real world issues and not only regarding finance, but also regarding sustainability. Uh, and we find more and more real world use cases and adoption then, uh, but in my opinion, we're still very early in that sense. So the biggest change will, will still have to come, um, where we see the, um, the true integration of just uh, sustainable DeFi products by non crypto companies without them even realizing that they're using it. I think Climate House is working on something like that at, at the moment. We are doing something similar. Uh, um, and many other projects are doing the same. And that is all fueled by, uh, uh, yeah, also if you look at the Europe by government policies uh, and by this uh, failure of traditional finance, basically, that, that looks like it's converging now into uh, and, it, and for our benefit that we will see uh, a lot of growth. That's uh, basically how I see it. Thanks, Nick. Jamon, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I think so. The, so I, I can definitely, I'd like to just start with the like proof of work to proof of stake shift that happened, which I think was actually quite interesting, but it's, but I think it was largely pushed by the narrative that was um, very widespread after I think when Bitcoin like sort of went to the roof and everyone sort of knew about Bitcoin and the narrative that I kept hearing was just this oh it's like a coin thing and it it takes the energy of a country to use bullshit that can't be good um, and that was sort of the narrative that people were stuck with because they also didn't really dig more into it. Um, so I, I think, but, but that narrative stuck there. So it was, we kind of had to get away from proof of work in any case. Uh, but I think it was maybe pushed sooner because of this, because of this assumption, I guess uh, from, 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 um, from like an investor point of view, we, we kept hearing from investors like, okay, but you don't use Bitcoin, right? You don't use Bitcoin. No, no, we don't use Bitcoin. Okay, so it's it's not it's not like uh, you don't you don't use a country's energy to do what you need to do. No, no, it's fine. So it's like everyone was concerned about this. So that's I think that was a an, a narrative that's made the push come from a lot of different directions. As far as what has changed, or I, maybe what I think is more interesting, which is what I've um, thought about since basically since we started what we're doing is that crypto is still lacking the big change, which is some sort of real killer application. It's it's a little cliche, but it's I I just don't think it's gonna be a coin. I don't think it's gonna be 
it's I really don't think it's gonna be on another Dex where you can stake some silly dog coins and stuff. It's fun, but it's it's niche. Let's be real. So I think I think what's what's gonna really make the big change from crypto being niche that it still is is the change to some something that gives value to a lot of people. Um, I don't think that's like what we see today as DeFi, I think it's not a lot. Um, but I think it's going to be something that's going to be useful for a lot of people. Uh, it might be regional first and a spread, but I think it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really very, very hard to tell and very hard to predict these things, obviously. But that's just always been my narrative that's been in my head that this has so many potential use cases that are that are like could be so important and good for society on many different levels that I, I maybe I just hope super bad that that's going to be one of those that's that ends up taking the narrative in the end instead of the speculation on the DeFi stuff but yeah <laughs> guess I went a bit thanks sorry sorry <laughs> no go on have great I think one thing that he mentioned just triggered something. I think for, I mean, it remains to be seen for better or for worse, but I think like the, you know, mentioning FUD and all, like, I think there's been a lot of news about greenwashing in the real world, as I like to call like the non-crypto side of things, normies. Um, I think that actually brought a lot of um, attention into the space and any attention is good because we can use it to channel awareness. And I think that's also another thing that's changed as like a lot more I think as governments crack down on companies, it's not great for the companies um, because a lot of them are getting audited. A lot of their records are coming on the public eye. And I, I guess that's where the narrative of blockchain intersects really well is that you know, there is that transparency. So for companies um, to not you know, be put out in the public eye and realize, for example, that they might be seen as greenwashing, they would have... Um, this technology here to actually help them keep a country can a complete and transparent record all the way, and I think that's also something else that is giving some momentum to the uptake. I think this technology is for sustainability. It's because of the scandals, because of the headlines. Um, you know, like when crypto companies fall, when FTX fell. I mean, even my mother, who barely knows how to use a mobile phone, asked me, like, "Are you affected by it?" Because it's the first time she's ever like looked at crypto because of the scandal, so it it can be a good thing, I think. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, cool. I think uh, so. It's like the the rewards of this technology now outweigh the risks from an environmental perspective. And I think yeah, the the transition from Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake has really like kind of finalized that conversation. And now with all the the guys who are building on the technology it's just yeah starting to kind of freewheel a little bit in terms of innovation and impact yeah cool thanks alex jaman can we come to you with with your question i think i've gone with my question sorry sorry it's nick, nick finally yeah so uh my question is which industries will benefit most from sustainability on the blockchain so i'll, I'll go first this time if, if you want um and i think yeah, brief started to touch on it just then, actually. Um, you know, around traceability and transparency and verifiability and all those good things that 
public blockchains can enable. Um, so I think uh, organizations that are um, leveraging the technology will, all organizations who are leveraging blockchain enabled sustainability um, projects will, will feel the benefits. So um, yeah, that, that whole verifiability piece, if you're tracking supply chain carbon emissions um, from source to, to end of life, um, that's all going to be written and it's going to be clear to see. And as, as part of that, um, you know, the administrative burden of trying to track carbon emissions is going to be removed and, you know, essentially done by blockchain. Um, and I think that's, that's probably, it's really exciting. I mean, we're not there yet. Uh, we might, we might even be a few years away from that kind of end to end carbon emissions, um, tracking, but, but when it happens, I think that'll be, that'll be really interesting. And, um, and likewise from, from the kind of carbon market side we're we're developing the, um, this ecosystem to, to try and improve the user experience within the carbon markets. So at the moment, if you want to access the carbon markets, I think Nick was talking about this earlier, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult process. Um, it might take months to source carbon credits, right? You've got to go through a third party who will help you understand the availability of supply and prices and, and all this sort of thing. Um, and then when you actually want to execute the transaction, you're again going to have to go through a third party to kind of do that on your behalf. And with the blockchain solutions, you know, you can kind of do it yourself and you can see, you, you can execute transaction yourself without a third party. You can also understand the state of the market. So whether that's market prices, availability of supply, um, technology types that are represented in the market, all these sorts of things you're going to be able to do yourself from an organization very quickly and very efficiently. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it, for me, I think the, the efficiency benefits are, are going to be massive. Um, I say a lot of this technology is still kind of in MVP stage or it's early stage. So it's, it's probably going to take a while for it to, to kind of come through, but as and when it does come, come through, um, I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting and it'll probably hit critical mass quicker than we expect. Thanks, Alex. Bray, did you jump on with, with the idea? agree with anything to add on that um i guess like this commentary on you know having come from oil and gas which is of course the dark side um and since alex is previously from energy i think a lot of the um, proven scenarios in which this has benefit benefited companies would be the attractive trace their supply chain um in terms of say for example agricultural training companies um, even australian companies especially they've been implementing this blockchain solutions since 2017, 2018, some of them very early, very early systems um, where they can actually then make sure that there is provenance for their products. And for example, like I think your grains, your rice, even I think some of the fruit companies are also looking to implement this. You want to know where your kiwi comes from. You want to know if it's a certified organic, what is the information, um, you know, that certifies it to be organic, all of this is already on-chain for these companies so that they can provide um, trust for their customers in their products. So it's already being done. Um, so I think any sort of companies that involves, even even if it's a closed ecosystem where there has to be restricted sharing of information would benefit from this. Um, so all kinds of corporations that then involve external stakeholders would also be able to provide provenance as a measure of trust. And I think that any company then who wants to raise their brand profile would benefit from it. And that's literally all of the world, which is why like, I think a lot of 
the efforts for a lot of people to understand how the onward that they experience is very critical. If everybody can benefit from it, then you need to make it easier to use. So thanks, Bray. Nick, does that kind of answer your question? Did you have any other the viewpoints you wanted to, to put across? Uh, I think it matches my, my own viewpoint because personally, I think that the agricultural industry as a whole will see a massive positive impact from blockchain technology. Um, because if I see what's now being built in the agricultural sector, it's, uh, it's quite, uh, extensive and it ranges from, uh, tokenization of, uh, carbon, but also uh, helping farmers sell their products faster for a better price uh, also uh, insurance products uh, for instance we are working together with eateris to develop a paramedic insurance for farmers that be on board so they can actually buy an insurance for their trees and uh, co2 tokens and eateris for example already has a crop insurance uh, working in kenya uh, but also availability to data sources helps them to become more effective as a farmer. Um, I see use cases for that also on the blockchain. So, yeah, and, and, and farming as a whole, I think is one of the biggest industries in the whole world. So then uh, majority are from developing countries. Um, and if they can get, if their put becomes, uh, increases by 10%, then impact globally is massive, massive. So that means that we will have more food available for better prices globally um because of blockchain um and i think that is uh, one of the biggest use cases uh that we will see explode over the next yeah i think two decades or so um which excites me uh personally the most yeah i i think it was definitely agree and I, it's it's uh it seems that everyone is saying supply chain and it's of course it's this it's what's what we believe uh, strongly at empower as well is that's like supply chain is, is well, most industries would be impacted by that. And whoever is able to leverage that most efficiently and most effectively, I think they'll, they'll gain a ton from this. And especially now with like, okay. So especially in Europe, there's so much regulation happening on this now where so many different product types now need to have like this product passports and like different things that are connected to them to prove that that uh, the materials doesn't come from from unsustainable sources. That it's not made from child labor, like all these things, and it's it's basically transparency, which is where blockchain can be super useful. And if they manage then to leverage that in the correct way, I think it's going to be uh, very very cost efficient and very very useful. So that's and and we see that also. That's the that people are starting to see that and starting to ask questions of how, how can we do that? So, so my, my answer to that question essentially is any industry essentially that's able to figure out how to leverage it correctly, um, for supply chain in particular, but I'm sure there's a ton of other ones as well that I'm just not so like into, but I, I just see that there's the potential is, is incredible. And I think we will see some, some really cool stuff in the future. Perfect. Thanks, Shaman. Right, we'll leave it there, guys. We're just running out of, of time a little bit. So, yeah, that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Our thanks to all our guests for joining us today and sharing their views with us too. 
we'd like to thank you for listening and hopefully you can join us again next time